rocking and rolling on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. We are all back together with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Pleased to welcome back Woody from the waves of Hawaii, where he was hanging 10 all week, swimming with dolphins and riding those tunnels. You were on fire last week. Yeah, no, no tunnels for me. Just old man, longboard, tourist surfing, but good time nonetheless. Uh, anytime you can go away for a week and I think conservatively averaged three hours in the water a day over those seven days you're gone, it's not a bad thing between the surfing and the snorkeling. And yeah, we ran into some dolphins and some turtles and all kinds of crazy colorful fish. I love Hawaii. There are spots there where you can dip your toes in the water, like literally be like knee deep, bend over with goggles on and poke your head in. And it's like you're in an aquarium already. It's just, uh, I'll have to share some of those on social media because guess what? iPhones are amazing. You just stick your iPhone under the freaking water and it's like movie quality stuff. So yeah, it was a great time. I missed you guys. I missed no, you uh, Jake Ottinger. You might have missed Jake, but you awesome didn't miss job. us. Come on. Awesome Thank job you. getting Jake Ottinger. Thank you. That was fun. An awesome job on this interview this week. So I'll set it up. Jamie Phillips, our new nutrition writer at ingolmag.com is going to join us this week. Hutch taking care of all the business while I was away playing in the salt water in Honolulu. It was a good week for me. And a busy week for Hutch, but thanks for uh, thanks for carrying us while I was away, buddy. It's all fun. Is there any part of goaltending that comes in handy and aids you when it comes to riding a board? Um, balance, I yeah. guess. Uh, much like your edges, you have to sort of be able to balance, like, and and find balance points pretty quickly on a board. And when you're like, we didn't, we don't like. I have boards up here that we take over to Tofino, like our own boards. And you get comfortable with where those balance points are and where you need to be, you know, uh, you know, as you sort of get into a wave. Um, and when you rent a board, all those things are different. So there can usually be a, a few ugly ones at the start, whether you're too far back or too far forward and you eat it. Just like um, new skates. Yeah, it's like new skates. Like, yeah, like like the first time I went on after all those years of CCM with the neutral pitch, I remember going back onto Bauer with the forward pitch and toe picked right away. Like uh, it is totally different that way. And the other part I will say is all the stretching and yes, hutch foam rolling that I do for goaltending to sort of just get loose and feel good and get warmed up. Um, hips are massive in surfing as well as goaltending. You have to be able to sort of clear that front foot. Uh, like think of a um, a pigeon stretch, uh, like you, that range of motion to be able to get that front foot from behind you to underneath your hands really quick uh, requires a lot of hip mobility. And I do find that on a long day, like there weren't any waves on the last day. It was really flat. Um, and so I ended up sitting on the board quite a bit, waiting for sets to come in. And when you're sitting the way you sit, Man, my hips ached all day and all night flying home last night. I thought for sure you were going to say what they both have in common, hockey and surfing, is you have to be really mindful of your depth. There you go. Pretty good one. Pretty good one. (laughs) That is That would have been better, and I've got the scars to prove it, because uh, the reefs that cause the breaks at low tides Ah. are often quite... uh, quite close below the surface. And I do have a few nasty cuts from the past to prove it. So that's, that would have been a hell of an answer, Darren. Smarter now, we, than had, I am. Uh, 
we had a lot of fun last week uh, talking about uh, the Stanley Cup final and uh, also getting into the move coming up for the Hockey Shop, a source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, this week, uh, there's some more movement, uh, but it involves the goalie coaching carousel as some openings are starting to find uh, their candidates. Well, I mean, first off, to your day job with the Vegas Golden Knights, um, Sean Burke moving back into a coaching and management role. Uh, nice to see Mike Rosati also maintaining a role there as well. And our good friend Fred Brathwaite stays with Henderson by the sounds of it. So there's one move that I don't think anyone saw coming uh, in terms of Sean leaving Montreal for a combination director and goalie coaching role. Uh, what an incredible history he has with goalie coaching. And yet, you know, the word for so long was that he just wanted to move into management and away from the on ice stuff. So uh, fascinated to see that uh, and how that goes there. And then just today I land, I get off the plane and, and turn on my phone and literally announcements galore. The Toronto Maple Leafs hiring Curtis Sanford uh, from the Vancouver Canucks where he was their AHL goalie development coach. Obviously we had him in Late October uh, on Ingle Radio, the podcast tweeted out a link to that this morning from the Ingle account. We've had him on IngleMag.com with teaching tips. Um, we got part two coming up this week on one of his teaching tips on uh, post entries and exits. So a chance for Maple Leaf fans, if you really want to get to know your new goalie coach and some of his work, make sure that uh, you check out that edition of the podcast and IngleMag.com for teaching tips. Hold on. Ingle, IngleMag.com has the... Goalie coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs with a new article uh, up right now. It's almost like Kevin was. We have a new one that future. went up. Wow, that is pretty cool. Toronto uh, listeners get to know yeah. get to know your new goalie coach. Head over to Ingle Mag. Yeah, and the uh, old goalie coach of Toronto uh, is also front page in the news. Yeah, and um, he's in Seattle now. The new goaltending coach of the Seattle Kraken is Steve Briere after seven years with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so what becomes very interesting in that little shuffle is that uh, I looked up an article I wrote on Steve Briere when he first got the Toronto Maple Leafs job. And the thing about that article is the only reason I was able to write it is because I was actually on the ice with Steve at a camp in Kelowna with Jonathan Bernier um, for some work and had a chance to talk to him in depth for the article. Um, I think that I don't think the hiring had been announced yet. Uh, and so I had the quotes and I had the story all ready to go seven years ago and, and filed it and NHL.com printed it. And I think that's the last time I was allowed to talk to him on the record. So um, Curtis Sanford, we really enjoyed talking to you. Your insights were exceptional and we were so grateful that you shared them so we can have them up at ingolmag.com. And I got to say, we actually do have a couple more because... Uh, before he got the job with Toronto, I sat down with him and did a long video session that went over three or four different drills with the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks and and Spencer Martin and Artur Silovs that we'll have up at Ingolmex soon. But the, the bad news is usually once you go to Toronto, the goalie coach is off limits, including to us, at least I should say on the record. And that's the case for a lot of teams where assistant coaches uh, don't talk to the media. Uh, it's it. There's probably 50-50, uh, maybe 60-40 uh, that follow that that path. So it's not not just Toronto uh, that uh, that goes down that that path. But you guys do such an amazing job of finding ways to discuss and and connect with these people. Circumvent? Yes. Are we caps? That, that, that's a good way to put it too. <laughs> well, listen, like I, I get it. 
I, I do get it to some degree. And yet for us and for the conversations that we want to have, whether for stories or for the pod, like sometimes I don't get it. And I, and, and it actually wasn't the Maple Leafs. It was another team that I couldn't talk to the goalie coach one year. And they just said, no, you know, you need to ask that question of the head coach. And I'm like, really? Like, you really want me to do that? And, and so I did. I asked the question, the very technical. I tried to actually simplify it. I wasn't trying to be an ass. And the head coach looked at me and he goes, that's a really good question. You should definitely ask our goalie coach that question. And the PR guy was sitting right over my right shoulder as he sat and I'm like, (laughs) what can I do? Right? Like, so I I do get it. That's just policy for some teams. Obviously some are stricter than others and you try and respect it as much as you can. But man, you know, the one thing I think we're really good at here is, you know, we always say pro reads too, right? Like if there's anything in here that's going to give away an element of your game in the pro read, like when you, you know, when you drop into RBH, if there's a mark on the ice and that's not something you want to discuss, then don't discuss it. We, we won't run the clip. We'll bury it. Like we're, we're not here to give away anybody's secrets, but there's enough stuff that is common amongst everyone that you can share without giving away, you know, um, you know, some type of magic formula that I think we can we can walk. I think we do walk that line really well, and I think we can. And sometimes it gets frustrating when we're not even allowed to try. I want to further this uh, along uh, a little bit with the the guys that have uh, been hired, uh, with what their strengths are, maybe philosophies. Uh, one or two bullet points uh, with Woody. But Hutch, you're you're a father of a, a child that's going into major junior kid man, young adult, <laughs> uh, going into major junior. You've, you've worked with a bunch of different uh, goalie coaches, especially over the last couple of years at, at a high level. What do you look for in a goalie coach? Uh, is there anything specific that is very particular to Maddie or is it big picture? And then I'm curious on Woody uh, side of it, the uh, maybe the calling cards, the four ones of uh, what we've seen in the, uh, the Seattle uh, Leafs and the Vegas jobs. A uh, pretty easy answer for me, I think, Darren. The end, uh, it's relationships and how do they relate with each other? Uh, how do they relate with the students that they have on the ice um, if we haven't worked with them before? And then once uh, Maddie gets on the ice with a goaltending coach, what's his relationship like with that individual? And that's incredibly important to him. Um, very much, again, my other life, uh, uh, like being a teacher in a classroom. If you don't have a good relationship with your students, if you don't understand them as individuals and treat them each as they need to be treated uh, for for their learning style, um, then it's not going to be a successful partnership. And so I need somebody who can understand that uh, in, in the case of my son, he wants to be pushed very hard, but at the same time uh, in a very positive and encouraging way. And then they need to be able to contribute something obviously um, from a technical perspective, from a knowledge perspective. What do they add to uh, what he's already getting from other people? I have written articles in the past and have said on here before, I think it's incredibly important that uh, young goaltenders see a variety of coaches because they each bring something to the table, which is, I guess, what you're asking about here, the things that people bring to the table. And together, um, you can build a bigger package. I think it would be, uh, it, at least in the case of my son, it would be detrimental to only work with un- one individual because the many coaches that they work with, that he works with um, all bring something special to the table. But at the end of the day, they all understand him as a person and how he likes to work. And, and that's what makes it go. 
And what do you know, Sean, and you know, Steve, and uh, you know, Curtis uh, very well? Uh, is there any particular angle or, or strong point uh, from the three of them? I think, like Hutch said, they all bring sort of different strengths and, and different balance and different focal points. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting because when Sean sort of did go back into a goalie coaching role with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, a couple of years ago, prior to their to their you know run to the Cup final, um, you know we went back to sort of the philosophy that he shared with us at Ing- on Ingle Radio on the podcast on his appearance there, and and some of the roots of that philosophy um, coming from his time. Like he's a guy that reinvented himself under Benoit Lair with the Arizona Coyotes, right? So um, that's sort of I think it's the common misconception is inside out sort of um, that goal line out mentality in terms of managing depth. Uh, I think Devin Dubnik who enjoyed a resurgence under Sean Burke as a goalie coach in Arizona, put it best. It's all about, can you beat plays and be set and be square on your feet? And if you can't, then you're probably too far out like as a oversimplified philosophy and so I think sometimes, and we were guilty of this too, we, you know, what could Sean Burke maybe do for Carey Price's game or what might he do? And we kind of looked at it from that perspective. Um, and, you know, I, I think Sean in some interviews subsequently sort of, I don't say, I don't know, push back, but I think did push back a little bit on the concept that that's the only way he taught, right? Like that he was going to go in there and tell Carey Price that this is what has to happen. Um, but, you know, that is a glimpse into sort of some of the philosophies behind his coaching and some of the experiences he had with Ben Waller and how you'll, you might see that filter into his coaching with Robin. But I think in all these cases, um, I don't know that any of these guys are going to go in there and try and dictate to experience like, like he's not going to go in and tell Robin Lehner, it's my way or the highway. This is how you have to do it. Like, and I think that's where the strength is. They, they build relationships and get those guys, you know, to sort of, get on the same page on some things. There's give and take on things that might work or, or with one guy that might not work with another guy. Um, there will be non-negotiables in each one, right? Like Curtis Sanford, the articles that are up at ingolmag.com right now focus a lot on entries and exits. And there are things that Canucks do differently under Ian Clark that Curtis would have learned as a goalie coach working with Ian Clark in the Canucks organization, but also as a goalie with Ian Clark and the high expectations that he sets here. And so Curtis Sanford is his own goalie coach, but some of the technical components will certainly look similar. And there might be some non-negotiables in terms of exits and entries. And yet I say that and 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 automatically I'm thinking about um, the articles we did with him this year and the conversations we had because Spencer Martin did it different than Arthur Silovs did it different than Mikey DiPietro, who was smaller and, you know, Mikey in his posts used a lot of sort of Jonathan Quick style with that, you know, turn that inside leg on the blocker side, sort of have that inside leg all the way inside the net and turn that left shoulder and look, you know, on that side while holding blocker side edge. So again, I don't think anyone is going to go in and dictate, you know, this is the way we do it. Uh, Steve Briere is a longtime disciple of Mitch Korn. Um, when he went into Toronto seven years ago, it was large. No, I don't say largely, but I mean, one of the recommendations came from Mike Babcock phoning Mitch Korn and saying, who's the next Mitch Korn? I want to hire that guy. And and Steve was that guy. And you'll see, Steve, there'll be a lot of props, something that, you you know, quite famous for Mitch Korn. 
Uh, you'll see them out there with the the dummies, the, oh, yeah. the uh, screen dummies sliding them around the ice. Um, you know, Steve. I call those forwards. Call, yeah, I call them defensemen because they probably have the same IQ <laughs> as most of my defensemen. Um, so uh, there's uh, there's that, and then like just other things like like I like I. I, I I hate that we stopped getting to have long conversations with Steve once he was hired because he was a fascinating guy with a lot of great thoughts and a lot of unique approaches. Like, you know, he had a business, he had, a, I believe, a business degree top of my head, um, but certainly a business background. And one of the things he did with his goalies is he developed much, he went through friends who work in human resources and developed sort of questionnaires that would that the goalies would fill out that would allow him to identify personality traits. And these aren't just like, this isn't touchy feely stuff. It's like, like human resources type stuff. So you understand where, how an individual learns, how an individual approaches certain things, whether they're an emotional person or a, you know, sort of fact and science. And he has his own, he's done this test himself. And so he looks for places where they might mesh easily, but also to be aware of, areas where maybe his natural personality might not fit as 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 easily with new goalies and so what he has to be cognizant of he's just you know what he's very much a no stones unturned guy as a goalie coach and uh, I'm kind of hoping now that he's in Seattle we get to hear about a few more of those stones stones that he's turned over over the past seven years in his time with the Leafs because a lot of goalies had a lot of success with him there I'm sure there were lessons learned once again much like Curtis Sanford and Ian Clark um you know, uh, Steve Briere and Mitch Corn are sort of tied together. He's a, a child of the corn, children of the corn disciple. And yet, you know that he's also his own goalie coach and that that there are elements there that have developed over time as well. So, um, yeah, fascinated to see how it works out for all these guys in new spots and happy for them to land there. Each guy brings a, a really substantial course to a three-course meal between Sean uh, Curtis and Steve, and uh, that gets us into our uh, nutritionalist, uh, the newest addition to the Ingold family in Jamie Phillips. That's coming up in the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. But first, uh, we're going to head over to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, and source for Sports Surrey for the gear segment. And I wonder if uh, Sean or Curtis or Steve would ever mandate wearing a dangler, because that would be the one of the smartest first stages or steps uh, to influence the goaltenders, because that's the topic today, Woody. I go away for a week, and Darren's hijacked the gear segment with danglers, eh? <laughs> danglers. We're just going to call this one Darren's Danglers. But in all fairness, as much as Darren likes to... And this is... I go away for a week, and it's Rip Woody thing, right? Like, Darren's got his danglers that he insists me and Hudge should do, and as you'll hear in the Jamie Phillips interview... It's all about attacking my foam hey, rollers hey, and my hey, propensity hey, hey. to collect Did them. Did not rip you in so, the segment. Let's be serious. I can't go away for a single week without getting hammered. Um, but hey, listen, if you're going to wear a dangler, you might as well wear the right one. And whether it's skates, pads, gloves, helmets, chest protectors, pants, new stuff, old stuff, top level juniors, beer leaguers, little kids coming up. When you want the right equipment, even danglers, Darren, you don't know which one to choose or how to do it up properly. Yes. Where do you go? You go to the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. You talk to Cam and all the other experts that work down there in Goalie Utopia, and you find out what works best for you. And yes, that includes the dangler you choose and how you choose to do it up. 
Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv, where I'm once again wearing a goalie mask. But not to talk about goalie masks, this segment is called Danglers for Darren. That's right, in Goal Radio podcast host Darren Millard, big proponent of the Danglers, gives me crap on a near weekly basis for not wearing one. So I decided to ask Cam, Cam. What kind of options would I have if I wanted to hear a piece of plastic rattle around under my chin while playing goal? So, and you know Sorry, what? Darren. You know what? That's all to do with technique and how you tie it. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Your dangler's a little bit too loose. Or, pro tip, skate lace, in terms of for tying it on, you're going to have it sit and flow with your mask rather than clanking all around over the place. So common gripe about these things is that clanking and rattling back and forth, but that does have to do with a lot of the way you tie it. We can talk about that in a second. In terms of for options, quite a few. I've got a Brian's one. I've got a Bauer one. Got I've a got power a two tech. option it's for Vaughn ones. I've got a PowerTech one. Um, in terms of plastic and what we're overall talking about, yes, they're all made out of Lexan. They're all going to be very, very similar. Um, now, I do find uh, the Brian's one that I do have, and then I have a Vaughn Pro Series one. They are a little bit thicker in comparison uh, to some of the other ones that I've got. Now, when you say thicker, do you mean in terms of profile height, or do you mean thickness of the plastic itself? Thickness in the plastic itself, just in terms of for overall fit-wise. So, in terms of for protection value, though, they are going to do somewhat the same thing. A little more durable on the thicker ones? They can be a little bit more durable. You know, the transfer of hot to cold, hot to cold can uh, eventually weaken the plastic. They do and like are designed to eventually crack. You know, they're not going to last forever, for example. Better the dangler than your collarbone. That's correct. So that point that that does crack and you do have that shot off that does break it, just keep in mind what would have happened if that shot had hit you in the neck. I don't know. You could just track down and keep your chin to your chest and not have to worry about it. But that's just me. Sorry, Darren. How do I put this on, Cam, to make sure that I keep Darren happy and danglers for Darren? So there is a lot of preference-based. Um, some good examples would be actually checking out some of your favorite NHL goalies to do wear, wear one. Um, I actually quite like the way like Hopi uh, mounts the dangler to his mask in particular. Um, again, with the use of skate lace um, and the way he ties it, like I was alluding to before, will help to reduce that overall clank side to side because the skate lace is a little bit more rigid than some of this regular lace. You can tie it to such a point that it almost helps it move the exact same way that the mask is moving without creating any of that gap and clank from that. Uh, where do you want it? To, where do you show me where you want it to sit when you're setting so, it up? When we are mounting it, we don't want it too high because that's not doing anything. We don't want it too low because once again, that's not doing anything. We want it to sit just at about midpoint and having a little bit of that gap there so that it does have play once it does hit your chest itself, um, and also still will go with you as you turn your head side to side. So. Again, this is one of those optional extras. Um, in Canada, in most leagues, these aren't actually mandatory. However, it is something that is highly recommended. The concerned parent... By want, Darren Millard. You want to make sure that you're fully covered and protected. That's where the Stangler comes in. Um, again, with your kids, if you're starting out early, they're going to continue to wear it as they go on. It's a lot harder to put on after, you know, especially once you've played for a couple years, for sure. Get them used to it early, protect them early, remove Correct. the potential for taking one that makes them scared of the puck early. Exactly. All good theories. So, danglers for Darren. If you want to talk about danglers, like Sands, a little bit more, you can give me a call here at 604-589-8299 or 
567-7790 or check us out at www.thehockeyshop.com. When you call, a reminder, folks, that it may not be Cam that answers, but all his staff down here, they play the position, they understand the position, they can help you. That said, I feel like this is one where I would like you to call Cam directly and make sure he walks you through every model, maybe get him to get the micrometer out to measure the thickness and compare them and really suck up a lot of his time to make sure that you get the right dangler for your mask. Smash that preference. like button, hit subscribe over in the little bell there, get notified when we produce these new videos. Check these out, these quick hits and tips also come at you quite fast. So you can check them out here further and also see more of us, which is great. Have I ever told you about the time we had Brayden Holtby training in Kelowna, first shot out of the warm-up, broke the dangler? Had to scramble to get it fixed to get the next session going. Thanks, Kevin. We'll make sure we, uh, we'll, we'll share that video. Tyler Myers, <laughs> right under the chin, first shot. Cam's on board, boys. Cam's on board with the dangle. It's hard to believe that there's so many different manufacturers of a piece of equipment that we all kind of consider to be the same. Uh, but I didn't realize that there was such a wide variety of, of thickness. What stops you guys from, from wearing it? Is the noise or is it just the mobility? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Hutch, you go first. Probably that I took it off and I'm too lazy to put it back on because I'm comfortable, oh, okay. uh, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I, think, I think the noise was probably the biggest issue. I didn't find it too much of an issue with mobility. If we ever practiced, I would probably wear it for practices and then maybe decide for games. Woody. Never wore one. Remember, I'm a late bloomer, right? I didn't come yep. to the position until my mid-30s. Then you should have started wearing one from the start. I know. You know what? What I need is I need a cam tutorial on how to properly secure it. Darren, mm -hmm. how do you do yours up? You use, are you a skate lace guy? Skate lace, yeah. Do you have like, is this like Thatcher Demko's toe ties, you know, two times pi r squared to the exact length to wrap? Like, well, how do you get your length? Pretty, pretty close, and it's just touching the bottom, the, the chin of the mask, uh, and I want it to be dangling down the side so it does catch if you're uh, in a RVH, because some guys are shooting off the side of your mm -hmm. head. It, it does block that, uh, that side, too, so it offers you one or two uh, inch and a half more uh, on the bottom side of your mask. So I, I am pretty particular with the danglers. Well, I, I, and I kind of don't blame you because you've got guys like Jack Eichel shooting on you when you're filling in a practice for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's a little different than my 40-plus beer league um, where the most dangerous shot is the guy in warm-up. Uh, not the other team, but the guy in warm-up. Thanks, Trev, who walks into the hash marks and lets go of the clapper at my head. I will say this. I get hit way more in my Thursday night men's league, just playing men's league, than I ever do. Uh practicing with the good guys like they they may try and bank it uh off your body all the other time but nobody ever hits you in the head so that's that's a good thing that's because you're nice to them they like you <laughs> if, if i if i was stepping on the ice with nhl players i would put a dangler on darren i'll tell you that right now i'd put on two Thank more you. cups and an extra set of pants probably so the closest I ever got to getting an invite to one of those skates, and that this was a summer skate here in Vancouver, and Ryan Miller wasn't yet back in town, and Eddie Lack hated them. He would rather focus his energy on working. At the time, I think he was skating with Alex Ald because I was out with them 
uh, doing video and stuff. It was Eddie and Alex out in out in Richmond, and and but obviously there's there's pressure there, right? Like the goalies don't like those summer skates, but the yeah. teammates would rather have their NHL goalie, and so Eddie was going to send me instead, and he showed me a copy of the text message. Um, when he confirmed that I would be in net, I won't say which player, I don't want to, you know, call them out, but which player, uh, replied to his text message that he then showed to me. But the answer was basically, okay, good. The boys will all shoot at his head. I was quite <laughs> delighted after seeing that text message the afternoon to find out early the next morning that I would not be filling in at that summer skate because Ryan Miller was actually back in town and decided he wanted to get out on the ice with the boys. And so there was a mixture of sort of, uh, but also, whew. where are you guys on, on painting the danglers? Do you guys like it? Uh, I like the concept that you might try and do something a little bit creative yeah. and, uh, match the, but mask. I'm not sure I've ever seen one that completely excited me as a concept. Hmm. I can't remember which one. I have seen one that I liked. I've seen a couple that I thought, man, that might actually work. And maybe we're onto something here, but it's just not enough people do it. I, I do think it's an area yeah, it's, rife, like ready for innovation, right? It just seems too yeah. simple and not quite fitting properly ever. Somebody's got to be able to come up with some, something innovative. Well, we see a lot of innovations around just the foams being used in the, you know, in the collar protection and the neck guards. Uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of that is an answer for those of us who don't wear like, I mean, maybe I wouldn't be looking for the next great neck guard protection. You know, maybe I wouldn't be invested in that uh, as much as I have been in our gear segments of the past couple of years. If I did wear a dangler and I didn't care because nothing ever hit my neck. It, it is strange how simple and basic uh, the danglers are compared to 30 years ago. Uh, how it's just stayed the the same. Like different product or different uh uh, compositions uh, obviously go into it, but uh, the look of them is is virtually unchanged. We got to get to our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina Sensorina VR. Jamie Phillips is standing by. He's going to be in our kitchen, almost literally, uh, talking uh, nutrition with us, uh, helping out uh, along with Sensorina VR. So a lot of off the ice uh, influence coming at us right now. Uh, Hutch with Sensorina VR, and then the nutritionalist. Absolutely, Sensorina does so much for goaltenders with their virtual reality training system that you'd think they might be adding a nutrition section one day, but I don't think they're going to boys. Uh, Imagine going through like picking out your food with, through the VR headset. Yes. And getting points for making the right choices. (laughs) So I, you know what they add almost everything you could ever imagine adding into a goaltending training system. So maybe it's coming down the road one day. We'll see. Uh, But keep it simple guys. This is a great time of year to be using Sense Arena. It's tough to get ice. I actually phoned a rink the other day to try and get some ice, and it's been removed because they want to do some maintenance around it. And to get out as much as you want to in the summertime is difficult, but you can get on the virtual ice as much as you want every day if you want to do your training with Sense Arena. You can do some basic work on shots. You can tell it exactly where you want it to shoot every time, which the shooters you see on the ice cannot do. You can face different scenarios if you want to learn about what might be happening in front of you on a power play, for example. You can see the actual shots from professional hockey players and get a feel for what a real pro release looks like if you want. And you can get in there and do some sophisticated hand-eye training as well. There's just so much available on Sense Arena. 
And once you've got the system, you can get in there and use it every single day as part of your training so that you can have the best year of your life this year. So really encourage people to check out Sensorina, sensorina.com. If you decide to purchase it, use the code IGM50, that's as in in goal mag, uh, IGM50, and you get a bit of a discount on top of whatever great offer they might have available now. Awesome advice. Uh, awesome product to work with, uh, especially during the course of the summer where you've got uh, things going on and Rink's got things going on and you can uh, still uh, practice the tool of your trade, which is a lot like uh, what our feature guest this week uh, does for people. Uh, takes care of you uh, off the ice to enhance your performance when you strap the gear on. Hutch. Sure does. In fact, you know, another great tie-in is one of the things Jamie Phillips and I talked about here was uh, just the injuries that come with goaltending because it's a position that's not natural for you and another great reason to try Sense Arena. Jamie Phillips, former professional goaltender, now NCAA coach uh, at Michigan Tech where he played and uh, also a graduate student becoming a doctor of physical therapy. He's already got a master's degree in exercise science and he is bringing his knowledge both as a trainer and a nutritionist uh, to the Ingol Mag audience. And we've got our first article up uh, right now and we've already got the next one in the hopper. And I'm just really excited because I know this is an area we haven't brought enough to people. And I love the way Jamie does it because he keeps everything simple he keeps it in a way that we can all manage to do things and at the same time providing some real scientific insight. This isn't just what you hear around the gym, what you hear around the locker room. Uh, this is a guy who is a practicing scientist and researches everything that he talks about. So we had uh, had a great conversation. Obviously, it could have gone on a lot longer, and I guess it still does offline a little bit. Uh, we're talking quite a bit now. And uh, has introduced me to some other people as well that will be bringing some great stuff to the Ingle audience. Just glad to be able to bring a little bit of sports science to you because it's what I just love to do, guys. Always great to have a Phillips uh, nearby to tighten up your game. It's the feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. We are excited to welcome Jamie Phillips to Ingle Radio today. The now retired pro goaltender was drafted by Winnipeg out of Michigan Tech. He played in the ECHL, AHL, and in Europe, and now serves as a goaltending coach at uh, his alma mater, Michigan Tech. Jamie, welcome. Your uh, playing and coaching resume makes you entirely qualified to be a guest here and talk goaltending with anybody, but we're really excited about your post-playing career and what you do with athletes as a sports scientist, looking at uh, nutrition and conditioning. So. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Hutch. I've been listening to the pod, so I'm glad to be finally get the chance to be uh, be able to speak. Awesome. Great. Great to hang out. And um, just so everybody knows, we are going to be welcoming Jamie as a contributor to Ingol starting this week with some some great articles in his wheelhouse. But before we get to the science, Jamie, let's just start where we do with a whole lot of goalies and tell us how did you get your start uh, in goal? Um, I started a little later than most. Um, I first put on the pads when I was about 12. So I, I was a forward to begin. And I was in, the, in my small town of Caledonia where I grew up, I was pretty good. And I think, you know, my dad saw that and he put like a ton of pressure on me, like the classic crazy hockey dad. And it, it burnt me out. So um, yeah. when I was 12. I gave him an ultimatum. I said, either I become a goalie because I was something that I wanted to do. And he kept saying, no, no, no. And I think subconsciously I knew that 
he wouldn't be able to like grill me because he didn't know anything about the position oh, or perfect. I quit hockey. <laughs> and so he, he, you know what? I think he saw, I give my dad a lot of credit because he saw that he was putting a lot of pressure on me. Let me switch. Um, took me to the goalie school um, on ice goaltending in Hamilton where I trained my entire life. And, and then that was really it. So started, started later than most, but had to, had to work double time to catch up. Yeah, right on. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting origin story. That's got a bit of a, a twist compared to some of the other ones we hear, but aside from, uh, you know, the pressures of hockey and, and your dad, what, uh, what drew you to goaltending? I think it was the gear like most guys. Yeah. Um, also my older brother played, uh, you know, not high level, but he just, he had played minor hockey around and I just wanted to like hang out with him and his friends and being the youngest, they would put me in the net. So I think story. that's kind of, yeah, yeah, I think that's also gave me a little bit of a love for it too. So, and I just wanted to, I remember my, my brother had a poster of like Jocelyn Tebow on his wall. Oh, love that. And I just thought those like, what was it? Coho. Yep. It wasn't 580. It was Coho seven. Was it 720? I can, I can never get the numbers. I don't remember yeah, that stuff, but I, I definitely remember the, the cool, Cohos. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I just wanted, I just wanted to have the sweet gear. Nice. <laughs> And you've had lots of sweet gear since then. But before we, well, I mean, let, let's just ask a similar sort of question that we don't get to ask of many other people. And that's, where'd you get your passion for sports science? Um, I think it really just came for me wanting to play at the highest level I could. Um, to be honest, like I was, I was a pretty like, okay athlete overall. Um, I wasn't anything special. I started later than most uh, in terms of my goaltending ability. Like I wasn't like a great skater. I was tall, but you know, I wasn't anything special. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to give myself every opportunity to play professional and, you know, first get to junior, then get to college, then get to pro. So uh, probably about the time I was 14, I really dove in hard in terms of like reading about what to eat, how to train, like all the kind of stuff. And honestly, I had no idea what I was doing for a long time and I needed mm -hmm. guidance from a lot of people and sports science has been around for a long time, but it's been very confusing for a long time. And it still is pretty confusing for, for, sure. for the masses just because there's so much information. So I did a lot of things wrong and going to school at Michigan tech in my undergrad of exercise science, I started to develop a passion for it and I've continued to research and like work with other athletes. And then post-retirement, going back to school and getting a master's. Um, and then now in, in my clinical doctorate, I realized that this is, you know, I can take that passion I had for trying to build myself up as an athlete and help others kind of give them the, the keys to the kingdom so that they can hopefully achieve, you know, their goals in sport. That's awesome. Sounds like what got me into sports science as well, except you were much more okay of a goaltender than I ever was <laughs> uh, and, uh, and much more okay of a sports scientist now, I'm sure. But uh, glad to be able to sit down and talk about something that we both really enjoy. And I, I went down the rabbit hole of your Instagram um, and for everybody, it's Victorum Performance and we will uh, link that in the show notes so everybody can go down the same rabbit hole I did and absolutely loved it. But one of the things that stood out for me is that especially when you get into some of the science and some of the the research articles that you reference is that you take a look at what i would call sort of widely accepted knowledge the stuff you hear around the gym that people will tell you you must be doing um and then you use the literature to maybe ask people to question things and say is it the right thing or is it not the right thing but what i also love about that is that you layer on top of it hey maybe maybe it 
doesn't really work, but if it works for you, don't stop doing it. Keep going. Am I right? Is that, that's how you tend to look at a lot of things? Yeah. So speaking on nutrition specifically, nutrition, well, all the sports science is, is very nuanced and it depends on how you interpret it. And it kind of depends on a lot of personal preference, but speaking on nutrition, um, nutrition research is very hard to do because it's very hard to control for all the factors, you know, say you, it's hard to control for calories or for types of food. And, you know, back in the early 60s, 70s and 80s, usually a lot of that research came from like prisons and like mental institutions where they could control the variables. And now that, you know, that doesn't really pass, you know, IRB reviews and ethics. Um, So it is a lot of self-surveying. And so you have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there are, there are a lot of things that the research shows are consistent, but then for some people, whether that's just, you know, a placebo effect, or if it's genetic, different things will work for different people. And so I'm a big component of try something, but don't be married to it. Like if you want to try, you know, what's popular right now, carnivore diet. Personally, for hockey players, I think it's a bad idea. However, if someone really wants to try it, then go try it. Maybe it works for you. Uh, If you're looking physiologically, probably won't, but some people it might. And so I'm not, I'm never going to say, you know, just because so-and-so paper says you need to eat this amount of carbs, therefore every other diet isn't going to work. I mean, that's not my job. I'm not trying to sell anyone on, you know, I'm not the carnivore guy. I'm not the keto guy. That's not, and that's not trying, I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to educate mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of help guide people and what's out there. And that's, that's my role because I'm not like married to one certain thing. Right. I think one of the, one of the keto guys was Tim Noakes and it was his book that probably dove me down the rabbit hole of sports science long before he was into, into keto. One of the things that uh, did stand out for me, though, where you looked at uh, maybe conventional wisdom, and we have to ask this because our own Kevin Woodley probably owns the world's largest collection of foam rollers and massage guns. I mean, if it's been <laughs> sold, it's in Woody's basement somewhere. Um, foam rolling, does it help? Does it do what people say it does? And should Woody be throwing out all those rollers? So my favorite answer, and the more we work together, the more you're going to hear it, it depends. And <laughs> So of course, like looking at the studies, the things that foam roller mark, like big foam roller, but yeah, whatever yeah. people are marketing foam rollers, the claims that they say don't necessarily match up with what they actually do. So I like foam rolling, but for the most part, it really just brings blood flow to an area. So if you're rolling your back, you're just help stimulating you know, the muscles and nerves that increases blood flow that essentially warms up the muscle. And when their muscle has more blood flow and feels warm, you're going to feel more loose. So it doesn't, you know, inherently improve flexibility, but in a roundabout way, being more warm makes you slightly more limber. So that's where like the nuances come in. You'll have a company say like, oh, foam rolling or soft tissue rolling or whatever is going to increase flexibility. Well, no, it just brings blood flow to an area. And it's one of those things that, you know, what else brings blood flow to an area? Going for a walk. So. It's, it's like, it just, it all comes down to personal preference. Like someone enjoys foam rolling and it feels good for them. 
good. But do you need to spend $100 on a special foam roller that vibrates and blah, 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 blah? No, not like, not at all. There are <laughs> other ways that are cheaper and that are going to get the same, if not better results than what you're looking for. So you're probably not fully into the Tom Brady training methods. <laughs> I, you know, I've read the TB12 yeah. and you know what? Here's my, here's my thing is when it comes to like, say like Tom Brady, TB12, he is trying to sell you on his brand and his brand is, you know, it's black and white. It's you do these things because I am Tom Brady. Therefore, if you do these things, you will be like Tom Brady. And which is, you know, fine because for some people it's going to work, but for Mm -hmm. others, it's not. And so I really just want to emphasize that people shouldn't be married or like dogmatic around one specific thing. They should look and see what works for them. It was like when Game Changers, that Game Changers vegan documentary came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I could go down a a rabbit hole on that in terms of how poorly it was put together in terms of scientific data and how it was all anecdotal and all the conflicts of interest of people who made it. But everyone, when that came out, everyone and their grandmother went vegan, which is fine. I have nothing wrong with people going vegan or plant-based, but the reasons for them going for it didn't match up with the science. And a lot of people didn't last more than two, three months and their energy started to go down. They felt Mm. horrible. And it's just one of those things where like probably shouldn't get your, the information that you, you know, follow from a documentary, (laughs) you know, you should get it from research papers. Yeah. And well, then that's what I like about what you're doing is you're, you're sort of becoming a filter for people because not everybody has access to the research articles, whether it's, you know, absolute access or even just the understanding to read them. Whereas now through some of your stuff, you're interpreting a lot of that for people and making it accessible. Exactly. And that's one thing that really bothers me too about academia. I've been involved in it for a long time is it really isn't, it's not as accessible as it should be. Mm -hmm. And there are some good people out there in, in all realms that are trying to make it more accessible. But even like, I mean, I get frustrated at you know, the re- some of the researchers and stuff because it, it is, you know, it is a little snobby and people, mm-hmm. everyone thinks that their research is, you know, going to change the world. And that's good because we need research to push the world forward, but we also need to present the findings and the data in a way that people can understand and not just like headlines that easily sold in the news where, you know, every, every month it's either coffee's bad for you or coffee's good for you because yeah. the science, yeah. uh, you know, study showed it. But we need to, you know, so that's what I like to do is because, you know, I, I, I read a lot of papers every day and I have background reading papers. So I want to take that information and, you know, distill it in a way that the average athlete will be able to take something from it or at least understand something like foam rolling. The research shows that foam rolling doesn't have that many benefits, but if you want to foam roll, go ahead. I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. Yeah, and sneak peek to the first article you've done for us. If you want to eat a Kit Kat, you can eat a Kit Kat. We don't need to go too deep, but <laughs> that'll tease people to come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, the one thing I have to say that I do love, though, and you made me feel really old when you f- referred to the 1980s as sort of the old days. Um, I can't imagine walking into a hockey dressing room in 1980 and pulling a foam roller out of my bag and what the guys in the room might have said to me. And now in junior hockey, they're practically required kit in your dressing room. Yeah, and it, it's crazy. So like, I, I love the history of sports science um, because most of it comes from the Soviet Union and like going 
through the Cold War era, information wasn't easily accessible or it was forbidden to, you know, send that information to the West. So as, you know, the 90s started and the fall of the Berlin Wall and all the information has made its way and has been translated. And so for the most part, like it took a, lo- uh, a few years for like the Western countries to catch up on their sports science. But like I, all that, inf- that stuff that, you know, we do now, like the Russians and these Germans and everyone, they were doing that way before we were. And that's why they, that and performance enhancing drugs were why <laughs> they dominated, you know, those Olympics for so long. And so, yeah, you're right. It's crazy to see how foam rolling, you know, I feel like it burst on the scene like 10, 15 years ago and more mainstream. And now everyone has a foam roller or a massage gun or this and that, or something you tie to your door that you roll your shoulder in that costs $200. Like everyone has it now. And you know what? If you have the disposable income to spend on that stuff, sure. Like if it makes you feel good, sure. But I just don't, it's for, you know, for people and parents and kids who can't afford it, I don't want them to feel like they're missing out or they're falling behind because they don't have those devices because they really aren't doing anything for your game. Yeah, no, no, love that. And, and I love just the general acceptance of sports science now and, and that it's okay, or it's cool to want to be the best you can be and do what you can. So mm-hmm. I think that's great. It's interesting. You talk about the Soviet union, cause it reminds me of, uh, way back in the 1980s, uh, being at the Ontario provincial championships for high school hockey. And we had a coach who had done a lot of research uh, himself back into the old Soviet methods and everything. And I remember after a game when I think we had three games in a day or something, he had the entire team on the ice skating laps after the game to try and get the lactate out of the system, specifically mentioning lactic acid as the Zamboni driver is trying to grab players and pull them off the ice because (laughs) he had to clean the ice and the coach is standing on the bench, more laps, more laps. So uh back to back to the soviet union in the olden days very ahead of their time and a lot of the stuff we know now and even just the main principles of like you know periodization and in, in, in training in general they all come from it all comes from that research that was done in the soviet union so you know when sports were the way to flex your muscles and show that you're a world power and all the resources of the government were put into it to you know, sports wash, everything, mm-hmm. you got a lot of good results and we, you know, we're still benefiting from that and we'll continue to benefit in the future. Okay. Something that I noticed in one of your posts, I can't remember which one it was. And I quote, I know this may sound crazy, but the most sports specific training is doing your sport. Now, now you're going to get me going. So you've, you've seen this before and everyone listening has seen this where you'll go to a gym or hockey facility or whatever. And they're going to say, join, like join our hot or sports specific training or our goalie specific training or baseball or whatever your sport is. And so that, and it, it slowly started, it's slow. It was really like, I fell for this. My parents didn't, we didn't know any better where you thought you had to go to these people because it was sports specific training. But in reality, there's, there is nothing that mimics your sport. than as well as playing your sport. So sometimes you'll see, and actually have some videos lined up that I need to make that are more like satirical in their nature, mm-hmm. because I want to be able to like poke fun at it, but also like open people's eyes where like, say it would be like someone in like a half split position doing a shoulder press and there'll be like goalie specific upper body workout. 
the only thing specific about that is this position sort of resembles a half split safe, but that's it. So what you're doing is one, you're, you're not getting a good stretch because you have to worry about your dumbbells. And then you're not going to get upper body workout because you can't hold as much weight because you're putting too much pressure on your groins. So you're waste, you're just wasting time and wasting a perfectly good exercise. And so we I see so much of this that people think that you need to mimic your position and somehow add weights to it in order to make it sport specific. When in reality, your training in the off season should be making you a better athlete. Your goal is to become a better athlete, become stronger, become quicker, more powerful, more flexible. And that will all directly translate onto the ice so that when you go to practice or your goalie skates, then you work on being a better goalie. And that's just that simple. The, uh, the gym is for becoming a better athlete. The ice is for becoming a better goalie. And that's that's hard stop on that. Don't feel like people need to stop wasting their time trying to mimic these like RVH, T-push, hip rotation, dumbbell loaded plates things. And it's just one, you're adding like the position, like being a goaltender is horrible for, for our bodies. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it just is what it is. Unfortunately, it's just one of those harsh realities, probably one of the worst positions in sports. So why are we mimicking positions that are already bad for our bodies? And now we're loading them more than what we would load them on the ice. So we're not only are we wasting our time in the gym because we're not actually getting stronger, or powerful, or more explosive, but now we're just adding excess load to our joints that are already under load. And then we go on the ice and we load them more. And then, mm-hmm. and then people wonder why you have 11 and 12 year old kids needing double hip surgery and complaining their hips hurt all the time. My Instagram DMs are just kids in pain, just mm-hmm. pain. Like, what do I do? And it's because of, you know, it's because the goaltending performance is behind really. And it's not following the evidence. It's more following the idea that training and loading positions that are similar to what you do is the answer. And it's unfortunately I'm of the mind where it's not. And some people out there might come at me and that's fine, but these are, you know, what I believe. And then what is backed by the evidence. It's just general, GPP conditioning, become a better athlete, do exercise that have high transferability, but are going to make you a better athlete, really. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's okay for people to disagree too. I think one of the things that mm-hmm. helps us move forward is some healthy conversation and disagreement, I guess, if it's respectful. God, so many threads I'd love to pull on there, but but just one I have to ask though. I, I, I hear what you're saying about sports specificity in the gym, and I think uh, it makes a ton of sense. But is there a place for something like that for people who can't get on the ice enough to be sports specific because it's $200 an hour or Mm -hmm. there just isn't enough ice in town and yet I want to improve my speed as a goaltender, for example? Yeah. And so I would say again, it, it depends and it all comes down to the training goal. So is doing you can do things that are similar to what you do on the ice or training in a way that's going to have the most amount of transferability like so goalie goalies we move laterally so what does that mean the muscles that primarily project us laterally should we put emphasis on them yes but we don't need to put emphasis on them in a way that exactly mimics the position on the ice 
especially if that position is something that's providing excess stress to the joints. And that's where I would say, you know, someone doesn't have access to the ice. Again, take advantage of that off-season or dry land training in terms of getting stronger and more powerful. And that's why those exercises needed, they don't need to be sport specific, but they do need to have some sort of translation. It would be like my example would be like the bench press. Mm-hmm. The bench press doesn't really offer a lot of benefit directly for a goalie, but being stronger in the upper body is going to make you a better athlete. However, the bench press offers a lot more benefit to a player or even a football player because they have that forward press against an opponent. So should goalies bench press? Yeah, they 100% should because they should build and be upper body. But should it be the primary focus? No, probably not. But you want to be as well-rounded an athlete because sometimes you do need to push and you need to have your hands forward. And so it's and this, there's a reason that there's so many strength coaches out there and they're all saying the same thing because they all have different, their own philosophies. But again, it's just finding like what works for you, but not trying to fall down the sport specific fallacy. So you, you touched a little bit on it before we got into talking about injury and Jake Ottinger was on the podcast last week. And one of the things that he uh, spoke about, and I'm paraphrasing probably poorly here, but was that after the season, you you sort of have to unwind and take the goaltender out of you. And I think that speaks a little bit to your point of having to become an athlete in the offseason. Yeah, and so essentially what he's saying is um, forgetting about the time where guys take off where they just completely don't do anything and they use that necessary cover for you time. When you come back into the gym, it's what's called GPP or um, general performance preparation. And it's just working on simple compound movements and just building an athletic base. And then you'll transition to more, um, I guess, essentially like power or strength specific periods in your training um, that lead you up to the season. So again, it's that GPP is that base or like setting the base of the pyramid. And then it's wide and broad and not specific. And then as you get closer to the season, you grow in specificity, but not when I say specificity, I mean explosiveness mm-hmm. or conditioning um, rather than like position specific as, as people would say. But um, yeah, you know, the position does a lot of damage to our bodies and is important that if we're not sh- basically strengthening the mus- the opposite muscles of the ones we're using all the time, uh, we're going to be at a higher risk of injury. And it's, you know, it's like, Okay, so you see, you know, if you're only using the front of your, your quads, your, your antagonist or the opposite muscles are your hamstrings. So if you only strengthen your quads and you never work on your hamstrings, you're going to have imbalances and it's going to increase the likelihood of getting injured. So you need to hit your hamstrings, even though that's not the primary muscle you use all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I was going to ask you about how we mitigate all those risks of goaltending, but I think you've you've touched on it, but anything else you'd like to sort of add about how we deal with, I mean, we've heard about the butterfly drop is sort of equivalent to an Olympic lift in terms of the force. Some have said, uh, we, we now see this. I feel like the old push hard, stop hard thing is coming back. I think we'd sort of gone away from it for a little while and been a bit easier on the body. And now people are flying around the crease now and stopping as hard as they can again. Uh, of course, the RVH, which we mentioned, like, how do we mitigate all these, these risks that we're putting ourselves in? It's hard. And there's actually, so I started a new, a new business with, uh, Dr. John Schneider, who's a hip specialist out of Ohio. 
and Dr. Ben Cernick, who's a, he's a chiropractor. He's current, he's a former NCAA and U sport goalie. And he's now he's doing goalie research at the university of Ontario Institute of technology. And so we started a, a project called resilient hockey and it's essentially our, the goal is to cover exactly that same question. And because, you know, we have three, we have two doctors, myself, who's going to be one hockey players play to the high level experience. We have specialists. And so we're trying to answer those questions. And unfortunately there is no yes, no black, white answer. And when it comes to, you can never prevent. That's another thing too, that I like to say is you can never prevent as much as thing as injury prevention. You cannot prevent an injury. You can reduce the likelihood of it happening. Um, so that's a big thing that people will sell, like injury prevention program. Well, no, if someone just runs you over and gives you a concussion, you can't, <laughs> no amount of exercise that you can do can prevent that. So our goal with resilience is to educate and provide programs and stuff. But really what it is, is from, this is my, this is going to be a, my opinion. And what I see is that a lot of goalies are getting hurt for two reasons. One, they're not strong enough because they're not focusing enough on just becoming strong athletes. They're focusing on too much on trying to be goalies. And that also comes down with this belief that goalies only should do mobility training. And that's not the case. If you look at the position, the position is a power and explosive position. The flexibility only comes in, in times of desperation or when times when you're behind the play. And so you have to be, you know, having the ability to do the splits or a super wide flare helps you when you're behind the play and you need to catch up or you need to slide or you need to bail yourself out. But the other 99% of the game, it's all power and positioning and being able to get in position quickly and be able to beat, beat the pass or be explosive on your feet. But a lot of kids will train or only want mobility training because they think that they just need to be flexible to be a goalie. And that's a big problem because although flexibility is good for reducing likelihood of injury, if you're not strong, you're not following based the physiological needs of that position. And the second would be over just overuse. And there's a project, I, I can't really talk about the project we're working on because we're trying to get it. We're trying to take it to some bigger dogs in the hockey world in terms of like hockey Canada, hockey USA, and hopefully get some re like real university research on it. But, you know, you've probably heard that saying where it's like, well, you, like pitchers in baseball, you don't go tell them to pitch 500 baseballs a day. But with goalies from the time they're eight, you have them doing hundreds of butterflies every single day. And, and we know um, in like the, the, basically the main study that looked at hip force and knee force is that white side and all paper. And they found that it wasn't even the butterfly that was the most demanding position is all the skating that we do. And that right. didn't even include the RVH because the RVH wasn't even popularized by the time that was published. So you're just telling kids to do these positions that really are horrible and are very compromising on their joints hundreds of times a day, every single day for their whole life. And then we wonder why they have structural changes because they have growing bones with high shear force and impact in these, you know, closed pack positions and that leads to injuries. So it's a combination of one, not being prepared and two, just overuse and that sort of that hockey mentality where you need to go, 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 and just hundred percent all the time. 
and kids get burnt out. And so there's a lot of, there's a reason a lot of kids can't continue to play hockey past 15, 16, because they need hip surgery or they're just in so much pain all the time. So what does that look like for Jamie Phillips, the goalie coach? What are you doing different on the ice? <laughs> um, so for me, when it comes to my guys, and I've had the privilege of working with, uh, you know, Blake Piedela, who's been top five in the nation the last two years, their NCAA goalies. And um, for me, it's load management. So I have a good relationship with our head coach, Joe Sean. And there are days when I say, where I, I have to tell Blake, no, you're not skating. And because he's a competitor and he wants to skate. But if he had 100 shots over the weekend, I, there's no reason for him to go out and skate for an hour and a half on a Monday. Um, or when we when I program goalie sessions, you know, earlier on in the summer in the so I get to work with them come late August and early September. I don't implement like RVHs or like hard impact drills. We focus strictly on a lot of technique and working their body back into that volume that's needed to go through an entire season and not just throwing them to the wolves because. You know, some of them are coming from maybe skating a couple times a week throughout the summer. And if I suddenly have them five times a week for three hours, they're going to get hurt. And if they don't, that's just kind of the luck of the draw. And so I work with the strength coach, the head coach, and we figure out a plan. You know, I see what their program is in terms of the off season so that I can work around it and work with what they've been training. And then I manage their load effectively. And so that they aren't overdoing it. And then they're, if something hurts or something's tweaked, get off the ice. Mm-hmm. There's, we have three goalies. We don't need to have a guy work through, you know, some, like a, something going on in their groin. It's not, there's not, it's not worth it to risk a guy being out for a couple of weeks when he could just miss one practice and, you know, go to the gym and focus on something else and still get some of the benefit. Uh, so that's how I, I try to manage load the best that I can. And sometimes I do have to fight against, you know, the old school, like, no, you should be out. You should be out. And I try to stick, stick to my gun. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, but I just try to make sure that I'm always checking in and making sure that they're doing okay. How are they feeling? You know, how are things? And if something feels off or, you know, if, if I just get a sense of gut feeling like, Hey, like take it easy today. How about first few drills? Like, you don't have to go down on every shot, pick and choose your battles. And then once we started to get in some two on ones, three on twos, more game like stuff, then, you know, then go 100%. And sometimes someone hearing that might be, might throw their you know, hands in the air and say, you know, you're an idiot. You need to be focusing 100% all the shots all the time. And I used to think that that was the case. And I used to get yelled at if I didn't go down on a shot in mm-hmm. practice in college. But, it, you know, the game's changing and, you know, either some people can either stay up to date on it or not. And, you know, think about a classic press or I'm rambling, but think about a classic practice where like you have 30, 40 minutes of flow and that's just shot after shot after shot mm-hmm. after shot. When in the game, are you really getting a clear cut shot down the wing? No D, no sticks, no traffic. Maybe once, maybe once a weekend, if that. Mm-hmm. So what's the point of doing hundreds of butterflies on something that really isn't as specific to a game when you could have less flow for the goalies and more two-on-ones, three-on-twos, in-zone battles, things that actually translate directly to the game and are realistic for the goalies. So I like to tell the guys that they don't have to go 110% of the start till they're feeling warm, till they're feeling good. Yeah, get their eyes going. 
And so a lot one thing we'll do is I like to start them right on the goal line. And I say, right in the goal line, track it all the way. And as you start to get more comfortable, then start to move out. And then you can add in more movement to your game, but get your eyes and your hands moving first. And then we'll work into more, more movements. And that just saves, saves their hips and knees a little bit throughout the day. But it adds up over the course of the season because it's this less force that they're putting on their bodies. And it's practice structure is, is horrible in hockey. It just is, unfortunately. But because it's not, it's not meant for goalies. It's just not. I'm, I'm not sure it's good for the players either, let's be honest. Yeah. But. It's just not for goalies. And so, like, it, it's hard because you have, like, you have players who's, who they can get a lot of just skating and shooting, but it doesn't help the goalies. Yeah, we don't have enough time or the resources to give goalies what they want. And when they do, it's too much. Like, I remember t- for times I was in the American League and, you know, I wasn't playing, I was behind Comrie. And so, an hour before, I'd have to go on the ice and then have to practice for an hour. And then I have to say just myself and the goalie coach for another hour doing drills. That's like mm-hmm. three hours and that's every <laughs> single day. And yeah. so you just get beat down and you, you know, you see that hockey walk when kids walk out of the dressing room, <laughs> they can barely, they're waddling like a duck because they're just in so much pain. And you know, there's like, I've gone down a big rabbit hole on like baseball research because the hip joint and the shoulder joint are, are similar in a way. Mm-hmm. And there's the amount of research for hockey is just, it's just, there's not enough. And I don't know if that's just because the game is small or money or hockey Canada doesn't like to do research. I don't want to get down that rabbit hole, but they refuse to do research. Anyways, um, if you look at like pitching, even like pitching like a hundred pitches in a day or around 50 to hundred, there are actual physiological anatomical changes to the joint. And essentially let's just say that the joint breaks down slightly. And so it, it breaks down and needs to repair itself. But if you that, that kid pitches the next day, you're just adding more breakdown and that breakdown gets worse. And so that's why, you know, they, they examine the changes and they found that one study, um, this was a Reynolds and colleague study, and they found that they needed about three to four days between sessions in order to get almost back or back to 100%. So if you think about the hips, you're doing 300 butterflies or T pushes or RB, more than that, because you add in stops, shuffles, RBHs thousands a day you're getting structural changes to the hip joint and we're not even going to worry about the knee joint getting mm-hmm. structural changes to the hip joint and you're doing this every day for your entire life and for some reason for us to like kind of stick our head in the sands like you know as an ostrich and just say like nope this is this doesn't happen in goalies it, it's just stupid because that's not how the body works but yeah there's no evidence to support that because I, I honestly, I'm, I don't think people want to know the answer because it's a lot harder to tell parents and coaches, no, your kid shouldn't be playing today than it is to just play and play and play. And if your kid gets hurt, the, you know, the kids that don't get hurt, continue to progress. And the kids that get hurt, they, they miss out. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of the way hockey's set up right now. Yeah. I mean, not the only sport that's like that mm-hmm. in terms of surviving injury to become elite. Um, I've been involved in other sports that I've literally said that about whoever survives the training goes to the Olympics. Um, yeah. But, and it's like, it's yes, I get that. But at the same time, well, I'm it not doesn't it's good. have to be that doesn't have to be that bad. I understand mm-hmm. there are some people that maybe are just going to be so injury prone for whatever reason that they'll never succeed. And that sucks, but that's the reality of sports and life. But to have, you know, next time you, you've probably seen it, like, like you go to a camp or something 
for like 12 to 15 year olds, there are a lot of kids. Majority of the kids are going to talk about how much their hips and knees hurt on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. And that's not right. It shouldn't be that the case. How many threads can we pull here? This is uh, this could be a whole podcast all on its own, couldn't it? Because it it's a challenge. I you know mm-hmm. and you're making me nervous as a parent of a 15 year old goaltender. We have some control over that at this time of year. You don't have to skate hard every day, as you're describing, and uh, and you've really got me thinking. But now you're trying out for a junior hockey team, and there's no Jamie Phillips to advocate for you with the coach you've instead got to be that guy pulling three hours a day because you want to earn the next start. Yeah. And that's, that's the, like, that's why we started resilient essentially. And a shameless self promotion, but what we're doing is we're taking science and evidence based practice and we're building up goalies and hockey players in order so that in the off season and during the season, they're doing what they can to mitigate their damage and prepare the bodies in a way that when those three hours come, because you're trying to make that junior A team, that you're giving yourself the best opportunity to succeed and the least likelihood that you are to get injured from overuse. And no one can guarantee that you're not going to get hit from behind and break your AC joint, but we can do what we can to prepare the body in a way that's going to give us the best chance so that we don't overuse it or get a sustained overuse injury. And that's all we can do. And that's as strength coaches and as PTs and chiros and, and specialists and clinicians, that's all we can do is do what we can to prepare the body for the stressors that come from the season. Does size relate to injury prevention and to performance? And I'm thinking of that as in terms of both the forces on the body when you are larger. And, uh, and I'm also thinking about a photo, I don't know if you saw it, that went around Twitter not too long ago of uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. And everybody was really excited because he was wearing Kodak Black's chain. But what all of us goalies really noticed were the ginormous knee pads and how lean he is. And, and we've certainly at InGoal reported on the fact that he attributed a lot of his improvement leading to a Vesna trophy and dropping nearly 20 pounds of lean muscle. So I'm pretty actually, I, I, I'm glad that he asked this question and that it wasn't like scripted or set up because this is something that I, I believe in. So I don't necessarily know, I, I don't know for certain if height is going to relate to injury, um, but there is evidence that shows that greater mass does increase a likelihood of injury. And that's just simple physics, force equals mass times mm-hmm. acceleration. So the more you weigh, or, and that's both fat and muscle, mm-hmm. the more force is pressed on the joint. Um, so I think there's a reason that goalies now, if you look at the average goalie in from junior A to professional, we're, we're, we're tall, lanky guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very few that are, you know, uh, that have a high, you know, body fat and there's very few that are super muscular. And if they are muscular, it's cause they're very lean and they look really muscular. They're not sort of like hulking guys. And so I do think that it's one of those things that it's, it filters and it, the position benefits those that have kind of in that Goldilocks area of body weight where it's enough for them to be powerful and explosive, but not too much where it's causing excess pressure and, and force on their joints or puts them on a likelihood to get injured. And so I think the, 
we're in that area of guys that are starting to trickle forward because their body type is allowing for them to be the most optimal for the position. And I, I honestly, I don't have any evidence to support mm-hmm. that, but that's just my belief. And I'm not saying that someone should go out and try to get as skinny as possible or, or whatever. I'm just saying that just like if you're tall, your chances are you have a higher chance of playing in the NBA than if you're short. If you're a taller and lean and lanky guy, I think that the position is more tailored for that body type. And that's what we're kind of trying, kind of starting to see. And how does that relate to your training? Um, so it really comes down to, you know, having an excess body fat outside. So for men outside that, like 10 to 15% body fat range in terms of what's quote, like sort of healthy or agreed upon as healthy for an athlete, like mm-hmm. being within that range. Um, and I can only, I, I don't have the numbers for females. I know it's between like 15 to 25, I think. Um, but being within that range may be a priority for some people that have an excess body fat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe it's worth it to, to like, you know, try to improve body composition along with everything. It again, like I can't, I don't want to speak in general, like as a general sense, cause it really comes down to the athlete, but if someone is carrying excess body fat, then the risk of them having excess and on their joints is there. And so that may be something that needs to be addressed with their strength coach or team's nutritionist or whatever, or with the parents, uh, because it, it is, a, it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, what about even lean, what about too lean muscular mass though too? Yeah. What about being too muscular? And that again, might be a risk. And so some people are just naturally more muscular. And so if that's the case, then it's, you don't want everyone tells them to drop muscle, but it may be worth focusing more on preve- in like um, preventative movements and like strengthening more specifically to the joints so that they're able to manage that excess force. Because if someone has naturally more muscle or they put on muscle easier, then those joints and the ligaments and tendons on the joints need to be strong enough to be able to support and to support and manage that excess load throughout the season. Okay. Let's see if we can transition here a little bit to some specific stuff we can give goalies. Okay. And, um, now at the risk of generalizing here, cause there's so many different kinds of them. When you first see a goaltender, what are the most common mistakes you see them miss making in terms of their training and nutrition? Um, training, so, just thinking that they're just not being strong enough. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I was like, I, I'm not particularly strong and I wasn't strong enough when I played. But it's just goalies not being strong athletes. It's goalies focused too much on trying to be goalies and not trying to be well-rounded athletes. And that's coming to early sports specification and all that. And that's a whole podcast in itself. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of nutrition, I think it's just there's so there's no one knows what to do. And it's so confusing. And it's how much do I eat and of what? Mm-hmm. And like that's, I mean, that's my job. My job is to make those decisions for the athletes and find ways that they're able to be most consistent and things that work best for them and their, you know, their energy and their gut and, and all that stuff. And so it's, it's difficult. And so I'd say it's probably best to find someone to work with that you can talk to rather than going and just finding some shredded guy on Instagram and following his program because chances are he's shredded because of his genes and the performance enhancing mm-hmm. drugs he's on. So find an expert or a professional or someone you trust and someone that's willing to work with you and figure out programs that are tailored more towards your needs and your body. Is there an age of goaltender 
should begin worrying about this? I mean, is it is there a time that it's too young to be doing strength training, yeah. too oh, yeah. young to be worrying about your diet? Where do you like to work with kids? Um, so for me, I like to work with guys once they hit about 16. Mm-hmm. 15 to 16 is the earliest I want to use. For the most part, like when you know you see kids that go to goalie schools and their parents are putting so much pressure on them, they're yelling and they just they see get stars in their eyes. They think little Johnny's going to the NHL and so they they wear him down. And so the last thing you want to do is just add, you know, diets and things that kids don't really need. Like kids need to be kids. They need to eat the rainbow, a variety of healthy whole foods. They need to play many sports or as many as they can, and they need to have fun. But as you start to get a little bit older, so once like 14, 15, 16, you're getting closer to your WHL or your OHL or your Q draft. And that's when you can start, in my opinion, you should start to spec like be more specific in your training in terms of, you know, you're not playing football this year kind of thing. I'm going to focus more on hockey. And that's when you should train heavy and with, you know, proper nutrition. When you're younger, you should still stop slowly do strength training and stuff, but it doesn't have to be crazy. It's more should be fun and mm-hmm. athlete development and doing things and playing soccer and playing baseball and doing, because all of that itself is, is exercise and training. And that's going to help to build a more well-rounded athlete. But folk, you know, that 14 to 16, age range is probably where it's, it's somewhat, you're going to know as a, as a kid and a parent, if this is something you want to take seriously. And at that, that's the time it's, you should start to invest in it. What about the guy who says to you, all my buddies are taking protein shakes, they're doing creatine, they've got their pre-workout supplements and all sorts of other supplements. Uh, do kids need to do that or do young athletes need to, any athletes need to do that? What are your thoughts about supplementation and all these different nutritional things we can be yeah. taking? So, so my philosophy on supplements is supplements supplement, they don't substitute. And if you're using you know, protein powders and, and things and pre-workouts as a way to, instead of eating more healthy whole foods, it's, it's probably not good. Again, when it comes to like specific supplements, um, there are a few blankets that are pretty good. Like protein powders for the most part, they're not going to get you jacked, but they add excess, some additional protein to your diet that maybe you're not getting. And so if you're not getting enough, then it might be worth it to get into it. Creatine is generally safe for almost everybody. And it's the most researched um, ergonomic aid, ergo, sorry, ergogenic aid that there is. And so it's one of those things that, again, if you want to take it, you, you can. And the other would just be caffeine. Like caffeine is proven to be beneficial for performance. And so that if you can have a coffee and it's going to give you the same effects, but it's when kids are taking crazy pre-workouts or just crushing energy drinks that just because they think they need to, that's where it's a problem. So I would say, don't worry about that stuff until you get to that 14 to 16 age range. And then when you start to take, like think about supplements, work with someone who knows what they're doing and work with someone that isn't trying to sell you a specific brand. And if they're trying to sell you a specific brand, it's because it's like NSF certified for sport or it's banned substance free mm-hmm. and not because it's, they have a 20% promo code for it. You know, yeah. work with someone who doesn't have any skin in the game and is just trying to help that athlete become a better athlete and a healthier person rather than just make up a quick buck. There you go. The pre-workout stuff kind of makes me nervous. I'm, I'm a little worried we're telling everybody they can have a cup of coffee. Moms and dads, you're not putting a cup of coffee in your five-year-old's hand before practice <laughs> no. here because he's going to play better. 
and, no. and maybe maybe we should be concerned about some of those energy drinks too because i mean i looked at one of the pre-workout things and i think it was the equivalent of three or four cups of well-brewed coffee and how many kids are used to doing that yeah and it's it's bad and i'll be like i'm guilty of drinking energy drinks and pre-workout but i'm also 29 years old mm -hmm. i know what i'm talking about and i'm i'm in a doctorate so i don't sleep enough <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> i need to stay away there is that but you know for kids kids just just don't need it and even like young athletes don't need it and for athletes that are you know say they're 18 to to 25 or older you don't need to take it every day that you can't if you're just stimulating yourself all the time you build a tolerance to it and you have to continuously take more and more and more to feel an effect so for older athletes that choose to do that kind of thing save that for game days only or if they're really tired and say they were studying for an exam the night before and they still need to practice they take a little bit of pre-workout to get them through the pre-workout but not there's no pre-workout better than a good night's sleep and that's mm -hmm. just the reality of it yeah don't try the pre-workout before a game for the first time either yeah oh no 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 <laughs> you'll be scratching yourself through your gear <laughs> <laughs> definitely not oh gosh we've uh we've been way past the half hour i probably promised you and I'm having a ton of fun that we could do this for a whole lot longer. We're going to have lots of good stuff over at Ingle, and we're excited that you're going to be sharing some of your stuff with us. Uh, just before we go, uh, the honorary Kevin Woodley, one last question. It's summer now, eight to 10 weeks to go until kids get back for camps or tryouts or whatever. Aside from calling you, which we hope they will do, how can they make this an impactful two months off the ice? Real simple, what should they do? So now that we're getting a little bit closer to the season, I would say that for those that are not on a structured program, you should get on one that's going to maximize these last amount, uh, these last few weeks. And then the second thing I would say is enjoy the summer. I know that's an easy thing to say, but like hockey is supposed to be fun. And if your whole summer is just beating yourself down and just stressing about the upcoming season, you're not going to enjoy it. And it's not, it's not going to last. So find ways to enjoy the summer itself. You can still train hard. You can still skate hard, but take a break, go for a paddleboard, go for a swim, hang out with your buddies, just have some fun and enjoy the summer. And then you keep the seriousness for the in season. Perfect. Can't think of a better way to finish it for all those guys who want to talk to you about a specific program. How do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can either reach out to me at my personal Instagram, which is at Jamie Phillips 30 or my business, which is Vic at Victorian performance Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram. So best way to reach out to me is just send me a message. Perfect. We'll have all those linked in the show notes. Jamie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Uh, nothing gets me more excited than a deep dive on sports science. I mean, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. What a great addition to the Ingle family. Hacha, there's so much to lean on uh, with Jamie. And now everybody uh, with ingoldmag.com can benefit as well. Yeah, head over to ingoldmag.com. If you're one of our members, you can uh, check out the first article from Jamie Phillips. Um, I know Woody's really excited because it comes with a downloadable PDF recipe. So you can get your first... Uh, really healthy nutritious meal courtesy of jamie and uh it's got some great advice on pregame meals 
something that uh, you probably want to be thinking about now so that you're ready when you go into the season and you're not doing anything different when you hit that first game. Maybe practice some of the things that he's talking about in there. What I'd love is that his advice is really practical. Uh, It tells you what you could be doing, but also understanding that if it works for you, that's okay too. Yeah. So, you know, Woody can still have the Snickers bar before he hits the ice, even though it's probably not nutritionally the best thing to do. But as Jamie points out, if you've tried something and it works for you, then that's okay too. But but check out what he's doing. Got another article to follow it up uh, coming up soon on supplements and what he thinks of them and uh, which ones actually relate to your game as a hockey player. And uh, really excited to have him there. Woody, do you really have a Snickers? No. Remember, my remember, don't you guys remember from our Mark Dekinich interview? Remember when I said it? So like he, his goal, I said you had to get your body warmed up. And your heart rate up. And I asked if that meant that having a Red Bull with the um, massage chair, heated massage chair in my car on, on my way to the rink, qualified. It's more than so most I'm of us I'm definitely in need of Jamie's advice is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> because, you know, like, think about it, guys. Like, how many times have you, you know, whether you're a beer leaguer or, you know, like, for young goalies, like, life is busy. You're running around. You're chasing things. And, you know, what if you have a bad start to a game? Is it because you didn't, you know, either put enough fuel in or did you put the wrong fuel in before a game and feel lethargic at the, like, we all know we've eaten stuff and then you get out of there on the ice and you're just like, oh, ugh, you know, like, so maybe McDonald's on the way to the rink, probably not a good idea, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. So it's great to have some advice on, you know, you know, some sort of hacks. What, what other things can we do to make sure that when we get on the ice, we have the proper fuel but not so much of it that we we feel slow um, because of it. So I'm I'm super excited for this series with Jamie. And as everyone just heard in that interview, really smart guy, really, uh, like Hutch said, just the way he shares things makes a lot of sense and couldn't be happier to have him as part of the Ingold family now. I'm going to throw my kid under the bus with a story now, boys, on pregame meals. As many parents know, food is so important and uh, it affects the mood of our children so much. And nobody's more sensitive, I think, to that growing up than my son Matthew was. And I remember being very excited because uh, I was a goalie coach for his team when he was all of about six years old, maybe five. Went to a tournament. And at that age, they allowed one coach on the ice to sort of direct the kids around because they didn't know what they were doing. And I was super excited. It was my turn as the coach when Matthew was getting his only start in net of this tournament. and. I get on the ice and I just see his shoulders bouncing up and down. And I thought, oh God, what's going on now? And I went over and I checked it out and he's in tears. I want to go home. I thought, oh no. And I knew right away that we'd messed up on the nutrition and he was starving Uh and his mother could see what was going on. She ran to the vending machine. It wasn't a Snickers, but it wasn't much better. And uh, we pulled him off the ice. We stuffed the food in him, and then we sent him back out in the ice. And he was uh, happier than a pagan poop, and loved every minute after that. So, uh, nutrition matters right from day one, folks. Probably even more if you've got a five or six year old goaltender. Uh, right stuff, right quantity, and it's not just too much. It could be too little, uh, as as Hutch said. It's uh, really important to find that balance. And I love what Jamie said. He, he, he's not there to push one ideal on you. If something works for you. I, and keep trying it, keep going with that, but uh, but he'll give you sort of the scientific uh, uh, spin on things. So that's going to be great coming up at ingoalmag.com. And we also have Curtis uh, standing by with his latest, uh, the new goalie coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Woody. 
Yeah, yeah. Part two coming up. Uh, we already have part one. Let uh, sort of the the drill itself in the pro drills was called organizing reps, and so it's more than just sharing a drill. In this case, you hear a lot of sort of philosophy in there from both Spencer Martin in terms of the difference it made for him, and the philosophy for Curtis in terms of you know not every goalie is going to do it the same way. Like like I said earlier, right? Artur Silovs may be a little bit different than Spencer Martin, maybe a little bit different than Mikey DiPietro. But once they sort of dial in on their way and what's best for them, they want to do it the same way every time. And, you know, so that if you don't execute that way, you can go look at it and say, or if it's not working, you can go look at it and say, hey, you know, what's not working or why didn't we do it this time or what's. Um, so it's, you know, it's and it's all about sort of getting to spots early as opposed to timing your arrival and beating plays. And so. Part two is going to focus on the technical aspects of sort of entries and exits off the post, um, how you should align yourself, uh, and that'll be up at ingoalmag.com this week. And so for the new Toronto Maple Leafs goalie coach, a rare chance to see him coaching uh, out on the ice and sharing tips with goalies everywhere. There's another piece in that article, Woody, that I think we haven't sold at all, and it's not in the excerpt, it's not in the title, And that's a little tip on dealing with short side shots on the ice. That's what this drill begins with. It's a topic I see come up at camps and on the ice a lot. How do you deal with a short side shot on the ice? Uh, We had a long time ago, we had an article up with uh, Eli Wilson showing some very strong examples for why he asks his goaltenders not to involve their stick on a short side on the ice shot. Uh, I saw a beautiful demonstration on the ice with uh, Pasco Valana at one point where he took my son through um, working with a stick and working without the stick. And then in this one, there's a whole nother uh, look at why in this case, again, Curtis Sanford doesn't want that stick involved unless you can do it very skillfully um, because he wants to keep that puck on the ice. And uh, so I found that actually a really fascinating um, little bonus within this great article, Woody. Yeah, there's lots, like I said, there's lots in there and there's lots coming in this next one. Um, there was actually so much in there that we, this was originally just supposed to be one article, um, but there was so much information that we decided to split it up, sort of look at the drill itself first and then get into the technique behind it and some of the specifics on that in part two. But you're right, Hutch, there's, there's another part within there that there's just a ton in there, a uh, ton of information like there is at ingomag.com every week, ton of information to help make you a better goaltender, brought to you by pro goaltending coaches, NHL goaltending coaches, and NHL goalies. Frankly, there's nothing else like it in the world. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you're a goaltender. If you haven't already checked out ingoalmag.com and subscribed to Ingoal Premium, I would ask why not. So many people think it's just cat-like reflexes. Uh, not the case, as you put so much uh, into it. And the short side shot and not using your stick, you've got me. That's why I'm going right now to check that out because I'm really curious to see uh, how that uh, filters down. Thanks to Jamie Phillips uh, for our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR, of course, the gear segment with Cam at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports. Surrey, time to uh, walk the board home and reflect on your great uh, effort to ride the wave of goaltending. Talk to you next time on In Goal Radio, the podcast.